I want to refer our attention this morning to two passages of Scripture. One is in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, the text. And the other is Psalm 103. So would you turn to both of these passages, please? 2 Corinthians 9, 15, and 1 Corinthians, or rather Psalm 103. We're going to read, beginning with verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 9, and then we will read some from Psalm 103. May we bow together in a moment of prayer, please, first. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the praise that has been given to Thee already. Praise in words, the praise in the Sunday school hour as people gave testimonies of God's goodness. The praise in song. We even try to count our blessings. We're amazed. We have to weigh them ton by ton, not one by one. We thank you for the goodness of God. We thank you that Brother Lloyd has reminded us in song that to God be the glory. This morning we give God the glory for his goodness. We pray that if there's one person here who has never received Jesus as Savior, that this will be God's day of commitment, of salvation, of turning from sin to the Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name, asking the Holy Spirit to do his work. Amen. In that glorious ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul sums it all up by saying, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And in Psalm 103, the psalmist gives one of the greatest literary presentations of the goodness of God to be found anywhere in the world. This has been a favorite psalm for many years. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath God removed our transgressions from us. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. 
But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord ye his angels that excel in strength that do his commandments hearkening unto the voice of the word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And that sums up my thanksgiving to God today. Bless the Lord, O my soul. When I was a little boy and I heard preachers preach on bless the Lord, O my soul, I thought, how in the world can I bless the Lord? I always ask God to bless me. And here I am trying to bless the Lord. How do you bless the Lord? We bless the Lord by praising His name, by giving Him thanks and giving Him honor and giving Him credit and giving Him glory. This can be done in a number of ways. We can speak the words. Thank you, Jesus. To God be the glory. Praise the Lord. And I'm of the opinion that we should use those words more frequently. Something comes up and God blesses, we ought to just give God the glory. Praise the Lord for this. To God be the glory. Thank you, Lord. And I know a number of Christians who have that as part of their vocabulary. I've heard some speak with exceptions to that, and they say, well, you ought not to bless the Lord or praise the Lord for the commonplace things, or you ought not to let that be in your vocabulary all the time. Well, I'd a whole lot rather that be in our vocabulary than words like curse, words of damn or hell or darn, or darn which are minced oaths. To God be the glory. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. There's another way we can praise the Lord, and that is through song. And part of every congregation that meets today around the world, a large part of what they do is to praise the Lord in song. When the choir comes in, the first thing on the Sunday morning, or on Sunday night, they begin to praise the Lord. And we need to have a holy hush that comes across the auditorium as we join them in our thoughts, nothing is impossible if you put your trust in the Lord. That's praising the Lord. Or sing, make a joyful sound, or whatever their praise might be. We join them in song. And then we're asked to join in singing together. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. And we enter into song to praise the Lord. And then someone comes with a choir special or with a solo like we've heard this morning, and our hearts are moved heavenward, and we enter in with them to say, yes, that's the way I feel. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. And they help us to praise the Lord in song. There's another way we can praise the Lord, and that is in giving our substance there are three important books in a Christian's life. There always have been. There always will be. His Bible, 
his hymn book and his pocketbook. And if we really love the Lord, our checkbook stubs will show it. If we really love the Lord, those little offering envelopes that are kept, we keep records on, they will show it because they will reflect week by week by week our bringing to Jesus, our love gifts to say thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And every time an offering is placed in an offering plate, from our heart we're saying, this represents my life, Jesus. It represents my love, Jesus. It represents my gratitude, Jesus. It represents me. Here am I, Lord. And I just want to say I love you. And I thank you. To God be the glory. And we give to him of our substance. There's another way to thank the Lord and to praise the Lord, and that is by our life. Our life is an open book before the world's eyes. We're the only Bible a careless world will ever read. We're the only gospel they will ever hear. And what they see in us, they will either believe or reject. One of the things that made Elijah such a tremendous thundering man for God is what he was more than what he said. In our particular Sunday school class this morning, we didn't have time to get through. We dwelled on what God did for, what, what Elijah did with God in private. We didn't get around to doing, talking about what God did with Elijah in public. But the more important of those two things is what we do with God in private the faith we exercise in Him, the commitment we give to Him, and allowing God to speak to us, allowing God to care for us, allowing God to take care of us so that we can realize that before God we're intrinsically important. God loves us. There's a song we sing sometimes, I am loved, I am loved, and I'm free to love you because I am loved. One reason a lot of people have a difficult time expressing love to others is because they're not aware of how loved they are. And sometimes, because of inferior feelings, maybe inferiority complexes and so on, we feel down inside our hearts and we feel defeated and discouraged and, and instead of being able to express love to others or even accept their love, we're so we have thoughts and, and mental attitudes that are, that are ingrown, like ingrown toenails, and they fester, and they hurt, and we don't love ourselves, and we don't care anything about ourselves, and we have a poor self-image, and therefore we can't imagine why anybody else would love us. I want to submit to you that when you begin to love God, and you begin to praise Him, and understand how important you are to God, that those thoughts are going to dissipate. They're going to fade away. They're going to be disappearing because you are important to God. God loves you. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you. If there were not one other man, not other one other woman, not one other teenager, not one other child in the whole world, God would have still sent Jesus to die for you because that's how much importance God attaches to you. God loves you. 
That's the significance of the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is not something that's just applied as a salve to society's problems. The Christian gospel is individualistic. It says to a man who is a derelict, a down and out, God loves you. He doesn't want you to be in that gutter. He loves you. You're more important than that gutter. You're more important than the house you live in. You're more important than the holes in your shoes. You're more important than the clothes you wear. You're more important than the old Model T Ford that you drive. You're more important than the things you don't have. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesseth. A man's life consisteth in the abundance of God's love to him and our willingness to receive that love and operate on it and move out on it and by faith give it back to him and saying, Lord, you've done so much for me. You've been so good to me. How can I do less than give you my best and live for you forever? I give back to you but your own. And that's thanksgiving. That's gratitude. The psalmist writing about that said, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath God removed our transgressions from us. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And on and on he goes. Every time I read that 103rd Psalm, I get a different number of blessings God gives us. I don't know how many. So many blessings, I can't name them. And like Brother Lloyd has us sing every once in a while, name them ton by ton, because God is so good to us. This is a season of pause in the rush of the year when we hesitate and slow down long enough to say thank you. Thank you to God. Thank you to our loved ones. The banks will close Thursday. The schools will close Thursday. The factories, many of them will close Thursday. The stores will close Thursday. And all across America, everything will shut down and the, you look out on the streets and if they're busy, they're busy with people having some free time to go and visit their relatives and loved ones or go to some football game or something that they want to do. Why? Because our founding fathers said, on this day, America needs a special time to look up and say, thank you, Lord, thank you. I don't know whether there's any nation in the world that has a day like that built into their calendar. But America does, testifying to the truth that we were founded by God seekers rather than gold seekers. On September 8th, 1620, 102 people left the old country, fed up with the kings and potentates that they could no longer tolerate, and they came to America, a new world, to found a nation founded by people who wanted to serve and worship the Lord according to the dictates of their hearts. That first year was a hard year. That first winter was a hard winter. They landed here on November 10th, 1620. The next November, 1621, there were only 55 left. But they gathered together to lay a heritage for this nation. 
to thank God, to say, thank you, Lord. Our loved ones have gone. We've had a lot of adversity, had a lot of hardships. We didn't have all the modern civilizations that we had over in England. We've had to wash our clothes by hand, and we've had to hew a living out of the wilderness. And we've had to make shift on everything. And Lord, the people that we've loved the dearest, they've been taken from us in death. We've watched them die. But we want to thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. It was George Washington who proclaimed in honor of that first Thanksgiving in November of 1621, a national day of prayer and thanksgiving to God for His goodness. And so we want to th say thank you, Lord, today for all the good things God has done for us. We have a great nation, and I just want to thank God for that. I read this poem, The Breaking Waves Dashed High on a Stern and Rock-Bound Coast. In the woods against a stormy sky, their giant branches tossed. And the heavy night hung dark, the hills and waters o'er, when a band of exiles moored their bark on a wild New England shore. Not as the conqueror comes, they the true-hearted came, not with the roll of stirring drums and the trumpet that sings of fame, not as the flying come in silence and in fear. They shook the depths of the desert's gloom with their hymns of lofty cheer. What sought they thus afar, bright jewels of the mine, the wealth of seas, the spoils of war? They sought a faith's pure shrine. I call it holy ground, the soil where they first trod. They have left unstained what here they found, freedom to worship God. Thank you, Jesus, for the great forebearers of our nation. I read about a woman who didn't have very much. She didn't have very much of this wealth's, wealth's goods and didn't have a very good house to live in. She always lived at poverty's level, seemed somehow. Wasn't through any fault of her own. She worked, she took in washing, she did everything she good, could to keep her children together. But she never had quite enough. And one day, she went out on a hill and she looked up at night, and she just looked over, over into God's glorious heaven. She said, thank you, Lord. There are enough stars there for everybody. Thank you, Lord, there's enough light from that moon for everybody. Thank you, Lord, there's enough air to breathe. God had given her a heart of gratitude. How different that is from some who have a hard time thanking the Lord, who have a hard time giving praise to the Lord Jesus for anything. Recently, I read an article by R. Lufton Hudson. And in it, he calls attention to the fact that sometimes we feel sorry for the poor who have no Thanksgiving feast, the families who have lost a loved one since last year's celebration, or homes that are broken since last year, or the lonely isolates who have no family to draw them in this, at this season. But he points out that the real disadvantaged 
are those who know how to say the words thank you, but never feel the surge of gratitude. He calls them damaged souls. He speaks of several groups. Number one, the immature cannot enjoy gratitude feelings. He says, when I see parents expecting their children or teenagers to be grateful, I think that maybe they're overlooking some facts about human nature. Human beings are rarely grateful before 25 years of age. They have to live long enough to have people draw from them before they really see what their parents did for them. And some never grow up. Gratitude is a grown-up emotion. Secondly, the complainers are not enthusiastic Christians. I noticed this absence of gratitude first in counseling with people who have serious problems. They griped and focused on the rotten aspects of their life or their marriage or whatever it is they complained about. They're like the serious-faced coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landry, who said, you can't smile and think at the same time. I think I've discovered what you can't, that you can't complain and be grateful at the same time. Thirdly, he speaks of the emotionally injured who have a hard time mustering up gratitude. And then he speaks of the love gluttons that cannot be thankful because they're always seeking somebody to love them instead of letting love go out to the others. And on and on he goes. There are people that cannot be thankful. There's no way they can be thankful. Their mother doesn't buy them the right kind of dresses. Their daddy didn't get them the right kind of car. Their husband didn't get home on time for work or he didn't make, make enough money to make all the ends meet. Or their wife doesn't cook like mom used to cook. No way to be grateful. And then there's that other person who can say, God, you've been so good to me. I want to pass on your goodness to me and I just want to thank you. And because you've done so much for me, I want to thank others too. A scene flashes before my mind this morning of the midst of the Depression years when our family did not have very much. We ate powdered eggs and powdered milk, beans. Milk was a rare item, real liquid milk in our day, in those days. We would get dry powdered milk from somewhere, mix water with it. There's really nothing wrong with it. I didn't know how, I didn't know that it wasn't good until some years later when I began to drink the other kind of milk. But I remember my dad worked on the railroad and he sent a message to my mother and he said, a farmer has given us some milk. And if you can find some way, he was working all he could. And wages were not very high and there were five of us children. He said, if you can find some way to get the cans of milk home, well, uh, we'll have, the children will have milk tomorrow. And so my mother got a little wagon 
and got us boys to go with her. And we went down to the train, walked a long way. I don't know now how long it was. And he put those uh, cans of milk off in a little wagon. And we hauled that milk home. And uh, that night, my mother gathered all the children around. And she said, uh, we've got a lot to be thankful for. Let's thank Jesus. And so we began to thank Jesus because God had given us some milk. That's a little thing. But I want to tell you, we need to learn to thank God, to have a heart of gratitude and not to expect God's blessings. How different that is from a lady that came to me some time ago and she said, I've got to have some food stamps. Now I've got to have them. You give me the money. It was back when you had to buy the food stamps. I think you don't have to do that now. Should you give me the money to go get these food stamps because I don't have any money? And I said, well, I would like to, but I don't have any money. And she bawled me out and cursed me out because I couldn't give her the money to buy her food stamps. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying God help us to have heart of gratitude. Let's not expect something for nothing. But when something good comes to us, let's look up and say, thank you, Jesus. And when we have to walk through some dry seasons and hard times, let's uh, learn also to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Because God is still in charge. I could go on and on. My time will be gone in a minute. But let me close by saying, the supreme thing we want to say thank you for is Jesus. Amen. Jesus. There's something about that name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears and bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and joy and peace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You see, Jesus was God's representative of love all the way through the pages of the Bible, from Genesis to Malachi, from Matthew to Revelation, God was saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. But I hate sin. I hate sin. I hate sin, but I love you. And man couldn't understand it because man was so joined to his sins that he got the idea after a while that God hated him. Listen, my friend, God doesn't hate you. He loves you, but he hates your sin. He hates your sin. And when sin becomes so enmeshed and entwined in your life that you feel like God hates you, it's because of your sin, not God. God loves you. But men couldn't understand that, and so God, in the fullness of time, sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And God poured his life into his only begotten Son. And the Lord Jesus Christ touched blind eyes and caused them to see. He interrupted funeral processions and raised dead people to life. He found a man that was out of his mind and crazy and over in the tombs left to die, and Jesus spoke to that man, and he was clothed, and in his right mind, he was healed. Jesus, Jesus, and the world couldn't stand him. 
He was too good. He was too righteous. He was too much of a representative of God. And so you and I, my sins and your sins all wrapped up in Pilate, all wrapped up in those Pharisaical Jews, all wrapped up in those Roman soldiers, all wrapped up in Herod, all wrapped up in all those men who represented sin in that day, announced and pronounced that Jesus was worthy of death. And we, not they, but we, led him out to Golgotha. And there on the cross, the Son of God died for my sins and your sins. It was our sins that put him there. And they nailed those nails in his hands. It was my sins. While he was dying, he looked into the face of God the Father, and he said, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And God the Father and God the Son made an eternal agreement that day that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. And the blood of Jesus streamed from that old rugged cross, forming a pool of blood at the foot of the cross that if sinners would plunge beneath that blood, they would lose all their guilty stains. No wonder William Copper, almost a suicide, feeling that nobody cared, nobody understood. And when he heard about Jesus, and he heard about God's love, he wrote the words, there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. And he received Jesus, and Jesus changed his life and through the years, Jesus changes the life of any man, any woman, any boy, any girl who will come by the way of the cross. Three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. He's a living Savior. He's alive. And when we receive him into our heart, he gives us the spirit of gratitude whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, thank you. Has that happened to you? Have you received him? You have a spirit of gratitude. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Please. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth of God's word and God's love. And we want to thank you, Jesus. You died on a cross for our sins. To give us that spirit of understanding and discernment and forgiveness and love and gratitude. And I pray that somebody here who has never come under that gospel, never allowed Jesus to come into his life, would open his life today to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing God's invitation. Let me request, please, that nobody leave during the singing of this hymn. This is God's invitation. Listen carefully. There are some of you here who have rejected God's love to you. He loves you. But you've never said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, and I want to thank you by confessing you as my Savior. You see... 
when we really love the Lord and we receive him, we can't keep it quiet. We're going to let others know it. We're going to openly say, thank you, Lord. Oh, we may not get up and make a speech. But when we're given an opportunity, we're going to come out from the crowd and say, yes, I'm on his side. I'm on the king's side. I'm the Lord's. Will you do that today? If you're here and you've never been saved, I urge you to come to Jesus. You may not understand all about how to give your heart to Christ. If you'll come, we'd like to pray with you and show you from the Bible how to do that. If you've already trusted Jesus but have not confessed him openly, we urge you to come today and just confess the Lord. Let me tell the congregation, here's a man, he's one of us. Here's a boy, here's a girl, here's a young lady, here's a person that's one of us now. He's been saved. If your membership is in another church and God wants you here, would you come today and say, I want to take a stand serving God in this New Testament church for Jesus. While we begin to sing, just as I am, who will come first for the King? Will you step out for the Lord right now? God help you to do it. Thank you.